Folks, um, I'm really, really pleased to uh, invite Simon Holly up to speak to us from the King's Arms Church in Bedford. And uh, let me tell you, this is somebody, I've had the privilege of knowing Simon for a long time, um, but it's been such an amazing privilege to also see God's hand on his life as he's uh, led that church and seen God move in a remarkable way uh, through that church, but also as he's started to serve God uh, in a wider sphere, helping to start churches, helping to, to plant churches, to raise leaders, and, and, and seeing God move in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of places all over the world. God's hand is on this guy to bring uh, real blessing in many places. We've seen God do extraordinary things. I've been so looking forward to having him with us here this evening. This is going to be a remarkable time. Are you ready to hear what God has to say? Shh. Are you ready? Okay. Let's welcome Simon up as he comes to speak. Thanks, guys. Good evening, New Day. Great to be here with you. You doing all right? As Joel said, I'm from the King's Arms in Bedford. I had, I had to say that. And uh, I'm here with my wife, Caroline, and uh, my three uh, kids, Kaya, Caleb, and Ethan, and uh, my daughter's two friends, Anna and Iona, said they needed a mention as well. So there you go, girls. You got it. Guys, you've been sitting for a while. Why don't you just stand up, have a little wiggle, just stretch yourself for a minute. Have you just done that? Oh, sorry, sorry. I didn't say that. You can't hear a thing back there. Great. Well, it's great to be with you. And I, you know, when you're getting to know someone for the first time, sooner or later, you tell them your most embarrassing moment, yeah? Anyone ever done that? Sooner or later. Shall I start tonight with my most embarrassing moment? A couple of people want to hear my most embarrassing moment. My most embarrassing moment when I was, I was with age 11, I was in history with Mr. Wetherill. Now, Mr. Wetherill was uh, a brilliant TJ. He was funny, he was engaging. We loved being in his class. And so, as we were just beginning the lesson one day, Mr. Wetherill uh, just gave us some work to do, and we got on with our work. And I noticed he held up his diary. And his diary was an, it was an NUT, National Union of Teachers diary. And he held this up, and he was looking through it. And the, the teachers were about to go on strike the next week. So I innocently asked him, Mr. Wetherill, are you going on strike next week? And he dropped his diary down. He went red in the face, and he said, How dare you! How dare you? And he was right, right in my face like my hair was whistling back. He was like spit on my face. How dare you ask me if I'm going on strike? It's my private business. It's nothing to do with you. And I was like, oh. Didn't realize I'd hit a nerve. And he's like going on and on and on like this. And then after a while, he's like, get on with your work. But what he didn't realize was as he was going on at me, there was a sudden warm glow between my legs. And it wasn't, as I peed my pants, it wasn't just a little uh, tinkle. It was a full-on Niagara bladder-emptying moment as the whole thing came up. And there was no stopping it. You know, once it starts, there's no stopping. It just went on and on and on forever. And he put us back to our work. And I calmed down from it. I thought, oh, my gosh. I'm in history, and I've just peed my pants. And I could feel the lake on the plastic chair underneath me. And I thought, what am I going to do? And so cunningly, I had a cloth pencil case. Not, not a plastic pencil case, because that would have been useless, but a cloth one. And I carefully took all the pencils out, and I took the pencil case, and I, did, as best as I could, mopped up. As best as I could. What was I meant to do? Mopped it up. As best as I could. Well, anyway, the lesson gets on, gets towards the end of the lesson, and I put my pencil, and that pencil case never forgave me. I, I put my pencils back in my pencil case, and then, what were, you guys, don't judge me. What would you have done? And so, and so, and so what I did, so I, I put my pencils back in my pencil case, 
And then I thought, what I'll do is I'll jump straight up and I'll slide my chair back in as quick as I can, so hopefully no one will, no one will notice. So I did that, and there was a, you know, a lake in the pen, but it didn't matter. I slid the chair back in, and as I walked out of the lesson and I saw the next class queuing up, I thought to myself, some poor soul has got my seat. Well, I never thought any more about it until about five years. I mean, it was a very embarrassing moment, but I kind of got away with it. Five years later, I was in the sixth form, and I met this guy who'd been in the school the whole time, and I'd never really chatted to him, but got to know him quite well. And he said, um, do you remember that first-year class in history with Mr. Wetherill? And I was like, hmm? I mean, I knew exactly what he was talking about, but I wasn't going to admit it. I was like, hmm? He said, you, you must remember that class where he was like in your face, screaming his head off in your face. You must remember. I was like, oh yeah, vaguely, vaguely. He said, I was sitting in the back row and I nearly peed my pants. He said, I do not know how you held it together. I nearly peed my pants and I was in the back row and you were in the front row. I was like, oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's coming back to me now, vaguely. There we go. Now we're friends. You know my most embarrassing moment. The, the other thing you ought to know about me is that um, I used to be an atheist. And so Joel checked that before he got me to speak that that was no longer the case. But I, I used to be an atheist. I was brought up, uh, my parents are Christians, I brought up going to church, and uh, I made a commitment to Christ, I got baptized. But somewhere in my teenage years, a few things started to go wrong. One is I got addicted to pornography from about the age of 11. So I got addicted to pornography, and it was a secret thing that I never talked to anyone about. I never talked, I never shared with anyone about it. And the second thing was, I, I, I was living this kind of double life at school. I never really kind of lived as a Christian at school. I lived as kind of like a, 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 a just like anybody else. And the other thing was, I had some really significant issues with suffering. How could God allow suffering? And all of these things culminated when I got to about 17, I decided, you know what? I don't even believe in God. I'm an atheist. And so I became an atheist, and I spent the next two years living as an atheist. And I decided that atheists, well, there was no need for any morals, and so I decided that I would party hard and drink hard and, and spend time uh, with girls and just live my life with no morality whatsoever. I began stealing from the company that I worked for. I just decided, well, you know, I'd lived all this kind of, in my mind, repressed life all that time. Why not just go for it now? So I did. And then a couple of years on, when I was 19 years old, one hot summer night, a little bit like this, I was lying in bed, and as I laid there, I suddenly knew that it was all a lie. I suddenly knew that Jesus really was alive. I suddenly knew that he was coming back one day to judge the living and the dead. I knew that there was going to be a judgment day, and I knew it wasn't going to go well for me. I knew in that moment that there was going to be accountability for the way that I was living. And I knew also that what I thought was freedom had actually left me into more bondage and depression than I'd ever known before. And in that moment, I realized that I needed to give my life to Christ. And I gave my life to Christ in that moment. I, ran, I went into my parents' bedroom. I knelt on their floor, 19 years old, in my boxer shorts, in my pants, and told them the whole sorry story. Told them all that had been going on. They'd been praying for me, and I gave my life. Through many tears, I gave my life to Christ that night, and I became a believer. And... One piece of advice I've got for you is if you are going to become a Christian this week is make sure you're fully clothed and not just in your pants. Because otherwise for the rest of your life, like me, you'll be telling people you got saved in your pants. Just put a dressing gown on or something so that, so that you, haven't, you, can, you haven't got to tell that story. But, but that story is important to, to me. As I look back now, I was thinking as I was preparing for tonight, I was thinking, what would I want to tell myself at that age? What things would I want to tell myself at that age about life? You know, if I could go back in time and speak to myself, the age that you guys are, what sort of things would I want to tell myself? I mean, obviously, I would say buy loads of Star Wars memorabilia. It's going to be worth a fortune. I'd say buy stock in Apple as soon as it becomes available. I'd say those kind of things. But what else would I tell myself? And as I was thinking about tonight, I thought there are three things that I would tell myself about the voice of God. Three things that I would tell myself about God's voice that would totally change the trajectory of my life in those years. The pain and the difficulty that I experienced will be so much easier had I known these things, had someone sat down and told me these things. 
So I want to read to you from a short section of Scripture, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, and it says this, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Three things I wish I'd known about the voice of God. And you can find them in this passage And the first thing that I wish I'd known was about the intimacy of God's voice. I wish I'd known about the intimacy of the voice of God. Everyone is looking for God. I heard a story in a preschool. Uh, A teacher said, where is God? And one little girl said, he's in my heart. And the teacher said, oh, very good. And one little boy said, I think he's in heaven. And the teacher said, very good. And one little boy said, I think he's in my bathroom. And the teacher said, why would you say that? He said, because every morning my dad comes down and he hammers on the door and he says, good Lord, are you still in there? <laughs> everyone, everyone is looking for God. But what, what's the point of this passage? It says God has spoken in many different ways, but now he has spoken through his son. He has spoken to us through his son. What's the point? We see in Jesus a a, a revelation of who God is. In the Old Testament, most of the revelation is about the fact that God is full of, that we are to be full of awe for God, that He is holy, that He is is mighty, that He is an awesome creator of the universe. And that, that theme follows right the way through the Bible. But in the New Testament, what we see added in is the fullness of the revelation of who God is through Jesus. He completes it says he fulfills and completes all the character of God. He gives us a clear picture of what and who God is like. That we're meant to have the reverence, that we're meant to have the respect, that we're still meant to have all of that for God. But Jesus comes and brings and adds and completes that picture and he shows the Son, shows that, the, that God is also Father. He comes and shows us that this awesome, mighty being who created the universe is also Father. One of my small boys, when I was putting him to bed one night, when he was uh, four, uh, I was putting him to bed and I put the, tucked him in. And as I was putting him there, he looked at me in the eye and he said, you really want to snuggle me, don't you? You really want to snuggle me, don't you? That's cute, but think about it. He didn't say, I want to snuggle you. He said, you really want to snuggle me. The difference is that he could see into my heart. He could see what I wanted. And there's so many who come to God and they say, God, I really want to love you, but so few have seen. No, no, God, you really want to be with me. You really love me. And Jesus came and gave that revelation that he is Father, that he wants to come. He doesn't just put up with you. He wants to be with you. He is your Father. Uh, and we see this in, as the, the scriptures show us that the revelation of God as Father was there in the Old Testament. I think 15 times God is called Father. But in the New Testament, God is called Father 245 times. Suddenly you see, brought into technicolor by the Son, that the Father is our God. You, Jesus came and when he taught his disciples to pray... He taught them to call him Father. And at one point he uses the word Abba for his Father. He prays and he says Abba and the, the early church picked up that phrase. And what's interesting about it is if you go to the Middle East now and if you're waiting outside of school and the little kids run out and they see their dad there, they'll say Abba, Abba. It's the word used, a little kid would use for their father but it's also the word that an adult would use for their father. It combines both respect and intimacy. Both go together in that one word. And, and English lets us down a little bit because daddy's a little bit childlike and father's a little bit formal. But in that word, and to be honest, the word doesn't matter. It's the point. When you come to God, do you see him both with the awe and the respect of a mighty God who created the universe? And, but you also see him as father. Have you heard the intimate voice of God calling you? Have you heard him calling you? You're his child. And so many Christians go through life either with over-familiar, God's just like their mate who sorts stuff out when they get in trouble, or they have this kind of unhealthy fear that keeps God at a distance. But Jesus came and combined both and showed us that both were a picture of the Father. It's awe, 
It's respect, but it's also intimacy. Have you heard the voice of God speaking to your heart? And for me, when I began to realize this, it changed everything. Because I was working really hard for God and trying to please God and do the right things. And then one time I walked into a church. And as I walked in, as I, I passed a boy and he was in a, a wheelchair and he had a severe cerebral palsy and he had his, it was a, uh, his head was kind of having to be held up in this wheelchair. And uh, he was just sitting there. And I went and sat in the row in front. And as I sat there in the row in front, I uh, just began worship. And to be honest, forgot who was around me. And then in the worship, mid-worship, I sat down. I moved from stuff from my chair. And as I sat down, I saw this boy had been picked up by his, a man next to him, who I later found out was his grandfather. And this man had picked him up. His grandfather had picked him up. And he was quite a large, he was about 12 or 13, and he held him like this. And his head was here, and he was looking into his eyes of his grandson. And he said, God loves you, and I love you. You're a real special boy. God loves you, and I love you. You're a real special boy. God loves you, and I love you. You're a real special boy. And he didn't just say it two or three times. He just said it over and over and over again. And I was like drawn into this scene. And as I watched him for quite a few minutes, suddenly something on the inside just snapped. And I began to weep from the deepest part of my being. I began to howl with pain, the years of trying desperately to please God, the years of desperately trying to get in his good, but something just snapped on the inside and I wept and wept and wept as I realized that this kid, unless God healed him miraculously, would do nothing with his life. He couldn't dress himself, he couldn't feed himself. As he lay there, he couldn't even hold the drool in his mouth. It poured down his cheek. But as he lay there looking into the eyes of his grandfather, he found love. Not based on his performance or what he would one day do, but based on who he was, based on the love that was pouring from his grandfather. God loves you and I love you. You're a real special boy. And in that moment, the performance of years just broke out of me. I realized I'd never really heard the intimate voice of God. And it's not that we shouldn't work hard for God. We should. There's lots to do. There's a a world to save. There's lots to do, but we can't do it from the basis, from the foundation of trying to earn his favor. No, he is pleased with us in Christ. It's because of what Christ has done on the cross, for what he has done in forgiving our sin, is now that we can come and know that we already have his favor. We're not earning his favor or working for it. Christ has portrayed and earned and uh, lived out the favor of God, and now he applies it to our lives. His righteousness becomes ours, and we can sit and bask in God's glory. And then as a response for that, to that, we can serve God and do all these things. David Pawson, who's a well-known Christian uh, speaker, was once talking with a guy who described himself as an atheist. And David said to him, well, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. And the man began to tell him about this harsh, judgmental, cruel being. And at the end of it, David said, well, I guess I'm an atheist as well because I don't believe in a God like that either. I wish someone had taught me about the intimate voice of God, that he was calling me, that he is my father. And, and you know, if we don't hear that voice, then we tend to live our lives as orphans. And I, I don't mean in any way to demean if you are an actual orphan. In fact, you have a very special place in the heart of God because he says, I'm a father to the fatherless. But we can live our lives as spiritual orphans and and, and it, it impacts our, way, our lives in many different ways. Our, our thinking gets all twisted. And so, for example, our sense of security in who we are is, is fragmented because we're not secure in knowing the Father's love for ourselves. We tend to either be looking to others for the approval that we've never got, or we tend to have competition and rivalry to those around us. The security just isn't there, and, and, and it, it impacts us all. I remember one time I was chatting to a mum and her daughter, and uh, the mum said, um, oh, my daughter's going to see this band, uh, this, this gig tonight, and she gave me the name of the band. She said, have you heard of the band? And I'd never heard of the band, but you know what I said? Yes. 
And as the words came out of myself, I thought, what are you doing? You've never heard of that band before. And all the rest of the conversation, I'm thinking, I, I just lied for no reason whatsoever. I could have just said no, but I lied for no reason. And on the way home, I was thinking, why did you lie? But of course, I knew why. I just wanted to look a little bit cooler than I actually was. I wanted to hear a band. And I had to phone the mother up later and say, I'm so sorry, I lied earlier. She's like, what do you mean? I lied when I said I knew that band. She's like, why did you lie? I said, I don't know. <laughs> But of course, as I explained to her, I do really know. Because often thinking will get into our spirits and it will mean that we've got to posture ourselves. A little bit cooler, a little bit stronger, a little bit smarter than we actually are because we're not secure on the inside. And it impacts our view of authority. You know, when we think like orphans, we can't really respond well to authority. We're threatened by authority. When we get corrected, we're either like, oh, no, I'm a failure. I can't do anything right. Or we're like, come on, I'll fight you. You know, we just don't know how to respond to authority. Often thinking twists us up like that. And uh, I remember driving. One of the key things we teach in our church is about honor, how to honor people. And I was on a road trip one time with two young guys. And one of the young guys wanted a job from me. And he wanted the church to employ him. And so we'd been talking about that. But on this road trip, we were talking about something else. We were talking about other people and stuff. And then, and then halfway along in the journey, he just said, hey, guys, I just want to stop this conversation because I just don't feel like it's very honoring. And Simon, what you said about that person, you know, who's not here, I just don't think it was very honoring of them. I think, you know, I just think we should change the, the subject of conversation. And half of me was like, who the heck do you think you are? I taught you everything you know about honor. You never had heard of honor before you met me. That was the unhealthy part. But the healthy part was so pleased. Because I thought, gosh, if he, even though he wants a job, is willing to challenge me on something, this honor stuff will live in him wherever he goes. The security when we're around authority and I've got friends, when they meet leaders or connect with leaders or go into settings where there's teachers, they're, they're just, they just get paralyzed with fear. What, what's the issue? The issue is they've never heard the intimate voice of their father. And, and it affects us in the whole area of sin. You know, when we sin, if we're living and thinking like orphans, what do we do? We try and hide it. That's what I did for many years. We try and cover it up. We try and even maybe do good to try and counterbalance that. That's how we live our lives. We can't admit who we really are. And for me, that was so the story. For years living as an addict to pornography. So living with that, that shame and that hiddenness because what was deeper underneath all that was just an orphan. And I remember one time in uh, church, I decided I just can't live like this anymore. It had gone all the way through my teenage years and now is going into my 20s. I thought, I just can't live like this anymore. And I found an older guy in the church and I thought, he looks like a safe person. <laughs> and I said, I need to talk to you. And he said, hey, come over to dinner tonight. Let's chat. So I went over to dinner. It was the longest dinner of my life. And we just went on and on and on. <laughs> and at the end of it, uh, I just sat down with him. He said, hey, what do you want to talk about? And I just told him the first person for the first time the whole sorry story. And you know what? Instead of the revulsion that I was expecting, instead of the rejection that I was expecting, instead of the you disgust me that I was expecting, he just put his arms around me. And he said, my poor, poor boy. And I just wept and he wept as he prayed for me. And I found freedom in that place. It's time that we stop thinking like orphans. It's time that we heard the intimate voice of our Father calling us. Have you seen and heard his voice have you looked into his eyes and are you able to say to him you really want to snuggle me you want to be close to me I've got nothing to prove I find security because you have revealed yourself through your son you have revealed that you are father and your son has made a way that I can be washed clean and come to my father have you looked into that because the, the, the voice of the orphan thinking is hammering at our door let me in, let me in. I'll blow your little Christian house down. And what do we reply? 2 Corinthians 10 told us, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't say that actually. It says, take every thought captive. 
Take every thought captive. When that voice of orphan thinking comes hammering at your door, you've got to learn. That's what I wish I'd known because I could have learned it over the years. Take those thoughts captive and say, no, I am no longer an orphan. I am a son. I'm a daughter of the living God. He is my father. I wish... I wish I'd known about the intimate voice of God. I wish I'd known about the variety of the voice of God. This is what the writer says again. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in many different ways. God has spoken now finally through his son. And so what we see is that God has spoken uh, to us through his son. Jesus now is the gold standard to which every other word about God points. You know, we read our scriptures not just out of dutiful obedience, although that's not a bad reason to read them. We read them because this book points to Jesus. It gives us a revelation of who Jesus is, and every chapter, every verse ultimately leads to the revelation of him. He is the gold standard. He's the legendary weapon in Fortnite of, 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 of the scriptures. He is, he is the, thank you, he is the, you can't get any better. And it all points to Jesus. God has spoken, and Proverbs 25 says this. Come back to me. Come back to me. Stop thinking about Fortnite. Come back to me. (laughs) Proverbs 25 says, It's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search them out. And John Piper, after reading that verse, said this, Is royalty in your blood? Then ransack the scriptures for God's hidden treasures. And I want to say to you tonight, are you reading the Bible out of dutiful obedience? That's not a bad way to read it. I mean, that's better than not reading it at all. But I want to say to you, there's something more than that available. There's a ransacking of the Scriptures to say, my Father has revealed truth in here for me. He has hidden stuff in here. He has hidden stuff not from me, but for me. And so when it's not clear, I can search it. I can wrestle it out. I can talk to friends because there's stuff. There's revelation in here for me. And once we've got that, once we understand that, once we've got that bedrock, that foundation, that God has spoken once and for all through his son, that he is the the gold standard of revelation, that everything points to him, then, then, we can understand that God speaks in many and varied ways. Many and varied ways. And how do we know when there's lots of people who claim and even lots of voices that will come into their, our heads claiming to be God? Well, how do we know? Well, well, what we do is we take it back to this book and we say, does it help me get closer to Jesus? Does it point a clearer revelation? Is it in line with a revelation here? Once we've got that standard, once we've got that measure, then we can understand that God speaks in many varied ways. That's a bedrock for us. And we can begin to listen to the variety of the voice of God. And and I wish I'd known that because for years I lived under the lie, God doesn't speak to me. God speaks to that person over there and that person over there is always seeing an angel at the end of the bed and they're always seeing an angel having a bath. And he speaks to all of those other different people in lots of different ways, but he he does not speak to me. But it's a total lie. It's a follow-on from that orphan thinking. That's how orphans think. Spiritual orphans think. But sons and daughters know this. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So if you're a sheep, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, then what? You hear his voice. You hear his voice. And... And yes, we have to, to test those voices and, and check them out, but, but ultimately you will hear your, his voice through many and varied ways. And, 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 and the, the writer says it happened in the past, but the rest of the New Testament shows us it goes on and on that God is always speaking. He is the word of God. He cannot help but speak. And, and we see through uh, Jeremiah who heard God through the branch of an almond tree and Agabus who heard God through a man's belt and Ezekiel who had to cook food over a fire made from his own poo. You can read about it in Ezekiel chapter for. Seriously, God says, I'm going to speak to you as you cook food over a fire made from your own poo. And Ezekiel's like, you've got to be kidding me. Why couldn't I have the almond tree? Why couldn't I have the stars like Abraham or even the belt? Why? No, I can't do it. And God said, okay, you can use cow dung instead. Oh, great. (laughs) Many and varied ways. The question is not, does God speak to you? The question is, how does he speak to you? 
And, and for each of us, we've got this book. He speak, this is once and for all, for all time. He is speaking through this book. He's bringing his revelation to us. That's why we, we ransack the scriptures for God's hidden treasure. And for each of us, he's speaking through the gold standard of Jesus. That's how we measure everything. But then there's lots of other ways. And it's like prophecy is like the highlighter of God. It's how he takes the things in this book and he brings them alive now to us. It's like the, like the revelation. I see it like a highlighter. It doesn't add anything, but it just highlights things. And sometimes it's, it's literally through this book. I remember one time I was reading it one night and uh, uh, I was reading this verse and it was, Come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And you know, that's true for all of us all the time. But suddenly it kind of leapt out of the page. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And it, I just thought, gosh, I feel like the Lord is speaking to me through that verse. The next morning I went to a prayer meeting. And in the prayer meeting, as I was uh, uh, praying at the end of the meeting, a guy came up to me and he said, Simon, I feel like God's speaking to you. And he's saying this verse to you, come, follow me, and he's going to make you a fisher of men. <laughs> and in that moment, in that moment, that's, that verse is true for everyone all the time, and yet suddenly it became very true for me. I suddenly realized that the Lord was speaking to me. It was his, it was his, his varied voice to me. And, and, and sometimes it's through, through others. You know, I, I met a guy last week in the Middle East. His name was Ahmed. He was in prison for four years for leading a house group. In his country, it's illegal to lead a group of Christians, and so he went to prison for four years. And at the end of three years, he was so low, and, and he was meant to get out for good behavior at the end of three years, but they returned him down. And he was so low that he said, right, that's it, I'm not going to eat. And he went on a hunger strike for 50 days. He didn't eat for 50 days. He drank, but he didn't eat for 50 days. And at the end of 50 days, he was so low. He was spiritually low. He was physically exhausted. He had no strength. All he could do was just kind of lie there. And he cried out to God and he said, God, do you hear me? Do you even see me in this prison? And on the, on the 50th day, he got a postcard. A postcard from a man that he'd never met before addressed to him in this prison. And this is what the postcard said. Dear Brother Ahmed, I pray for you today that our Heavenly Father will comfort you and give you peace and heal you today, your brother in Christ, Tim from Denver, USA. And he said when he read that postcard, the strength of God came into him. He leapt to his feet and he went out and played football for an hour. <laughs> and not long after that, he got released from prison. Sometimes it's the varied voice of God. And you see, when you, if I wish I'd understood this, because then you can go on the adventure of learning to hear God's voice. Sometimes he uses others. Sometimes it's just a still, small voice. I was walking to the back of a meeting one time. I was so tired. I'd prayed for so many people. And I saw a young girl. She was standing there. And she was just weeping. And, the, and, I, look, and, and I felt the Lord say to me, go and pray for her. And I looked around. and I thought, Lord, isn't there someone else? I'm just so tired. I need to go. And there was no one free to pray. They were all praying for other people. And I was like, Lord, I'm just exhausted. He said, pray for her. You need to pray for her. And so I was like, okay. So I went over and I began. I just said, what's, what's wrong? Why are you upset? And she said, my father killed himself and I found his body and I just can't get over it. And she was just weeping. And, I, and by then someone else was free and I pulled over another lady and we prayed for this girl. All thought of going home just left. <laughs> All thought of tiredness just left. And I prayed for her and she wept and she forgave her father and she just came into such freedom. The joy of God came onto her. She just began to laugh. It was amazing. And at the end of it, she said, thank you so much for stopping. I was like, it was my privilege to pray with you. And she said, it had to be you, you know. I said, what do you mean it had to be me? What do you, what do you mean? She said, it had to be you who prayed for me. I was like, why did it have to be me? She said, because my father's name was Simon. You see, only God, only God can do that. Only God can do that. It's his varied voice and through the pain that came into her life through one Father Simon, it needed another Father Simon to come in and pray and bring healing. We can't do this stuff on our own, but as we listen to the varied voice of God, we go on to this adventure. My point is this. Have you heard 
the intimate voice of God, but have you heard the, the varied voice of God, the variety of the voice of God? I used to say, God, you need to speak to me through this way or this way, or speak to me how that person hears you. But he doesn't work like that. He's not the slot machine who works on demand. He's the father who loves to have a different voice to each one of his kids. Just let all that stuff go and just say, Father, thank you that I hear your voice. I want to go on the adventure to hear and listen to you, to hear you through your word, to hear you through your son, to hear you through your varied voice in many different ways and many different times. As we go on that journey, we learn to discern. Was that the voice of God or was that just last night's pizza? You know, the scriptures say we we hear in part, we prophesy in part. That's why we need this as a bedrock to come back to. But as we do that, we also learn to discern. and We learn to know the voice of our Father. Have you heard the, the variety? And lastly, have you heard about the authority of the voice of God? I wish someone had taught me about the authority of the voice of God. I wish I knew these things. You know, you can only give what you own. And this is what it says at the end of that passage. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. God can give an inheritance of what he already owns, and what he owns is everything. And so he has given, through his voice, a promise that this earth, this broken, messed up planet, everything in the universe now belongs to his Son. He has given it to him as an inheritance. And and Jesus, and Jesus then said this, taking that inheritance, he said to his earliest followers, now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, now go and make disciples of many nations. And it wasn't just a suggestion, it wasn't kind of like the latest Snapchat thing, here today and gone tomorrow, no, it was pure authority speaking out to his disciples saying, go and take my inheritance. Go and find the broken lives, the hurting lives, the messed up lives and bring them home, bring them to the Father because I have made a way through my blood, through my death, through my resurrection. I have made a way for them to come and know him. He spoke with pure authority. I wish I'd known about the authority of the voice of God. And, you know, um, we run a night shelter, a homeless project in, in Bedford and my wife worked there for many years and uh, the guys who come in there, sometimes they, they, how do I describe it? Because of the brokenness, and you can imagine losing everything and being in a night shelter. You've got nothing. You've lost probably your family. You've lost, you've lost your home. Lost everything. What, they do tend, what they tend to do or can do is they kind of posture themselves. They try and make themselves feel bigger than or seem bigger than they actually are. And, and it's go, it links into that orphan spirit again. And we all do it in different ways, but they, they tend to do it. And one day, Caroline was chatting to one guy, and he was saying, you know, I own Cavendish Street. Cavendish Street is like a street in Bedford. Well, I don't know, 30 houses in it, 40 houses. I own Cavendish Street. And Caroline's like, what do you mean? He's like, I own Cavendish Street. And she says, well, I don't understand. You're living in a night shelter. What do you mean you own Cavendish Street? He said, no one goes down Cavendish Street without my knowing and without my permission. And she said, well, I went down there the other day. I didn't even see you. And he said, but I knew you were there. It's kind of funny and kind of sad. But which is sadder? A broken man claiming a possession that's not his or the sons and daughters of the living God not claiming a possession that is theirs? Which is more ironic <laughs> Isn't it time that the sons and daughters of God listened to the authoritative voice of Jesus and decided to go and to claim back his inheritance? Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God is right here. It's at hand. 
And we know the kingdom is full of peace and light and joy and kindness and comfort and deliverance and healing. And so when the kingdom lands, when it comes with all of that stuff, when it comes with all that stuff, immediately, immediately what we know is that when we see the opposite of that stuff, then our job is to partner with God's advancing kingdom. It's to partner with God's kingdom breaking out all around us. That his kingdom is here. But so easily we get distracted with just the stuff of life. You know, one of my greatest fears, apart from ever meeting Mr. Weatherall again, is buying cars. I hate buying cars. I loathe buying cars. I just have a, I've got a terror of making mistakes. And so whenever I have to buy a car, I really put it off for a long time. And, and, and recently I had to buy a new car. And I like prayed about it. And I was you know, crying out to God for revelation and what car should I buy and just get paralyzed with fear of it. And eventually I found the right car. And I said to Caroline, I think this is the right car. And so um, we were going to look at this car. And then um, as, we were, as we were going that evening in the car park, at, at, um, where I, at the church where I work in the morning was an identical car to the one we were about to go and buy. And I was like, it's a sign from the Lord. The Lord has heard my prayer. There's a sign that this is the right car. I was so excited. God is with me. He knows how this is hard for me. He knows. So that was great. And then as we were driving to go out, as we were leaving our house and pulled out around the corner, another identical car pulled out in front of us. It was the same car, the same shape, the same model, the same color, the same year. I was like, God, you are with us on this journey. Thank you, Jesus. You care about the car. You care about the small things in life. Anyway, then we get to, go to this car, which was quite some way away, and we go and we see this car, and it's a great car. But then we meet the lady who is selling the car, and we hear her story. And her story was that she had four kids under seven, and her partner had just walked out and said, I can't be doing with this anymore. And just left her. She had little money. The money was starting to come in. She was selling the car because she needed a bigger car because she couldn't fit all the car seats into this one car. And her heart just broke for her story. And suddenly I realized this was never about the car. I mean, God does care about the car, but this was not really about the car. This was about his kingdom touching a life that is in desperate need. And so we gave her what she was asking for the car. And then we said, we want to give you some money every month to just help you over the next year. She's like, what? She's like, what? She's like, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? You've already given me what the car is. Well, I said, no, no, we want to give you money because you know, we, believe in, we believe in Jesus. And it's the sort of thing that so many people have done for us. And we just want to pass it on to you. I mean, she just could not get her head around it. Every uh, month we would give her money. Every third of the month, her birthday was on the third. Every third month we would pray for her and text her. And this went on for a year. Why? Because it was never about the car. God cares about the car, but really he cared about her life. He cared about God, his kingdom breaking into her life. She came to church with her kids, even though she had to drive for, for an hour and a half to get to our, our house. She came to church over Easter with her. Some, God is break. She's not fully there. She hasn't given her life to Christ yet, but she is on a journey. Why? Because God's kingdom is touching her. His kindness is reaching her. And so often, and I wish someone had told me this about the authority of the voice of God because I spent so much of my life looking, I've got to get the right job and I've got to get the right this and I've got to move to the right place and all of those things. And God cares about all of those things. But they all come under one other thing, which is this. His kingdom is advancing. His kingdom is advancing. And so whether you become a doctor or a plumber or a, or a, or a, a homemaker or whatever you do, and that's all good and it's, it's all valid and study and train for all of that stuff, but do it under the umbrella of God has spoken. And his voice of authority says, go and make disciples of all nations. And there is a battle. There is a battle going on. There is a war going on because the enemy has a kingdom of hatred and, and, and fear and, and pain and suffering and sickness. And he is pushing back against God's kingdom that's advancing. And we know the end of the story. The earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. But there is a battle in the meantime. There's this, there's this war going on. And you've got to know what you've got signed up for. You've got to know the voice of authority behind you because otherwise you just will get taken out in the battle. And we use this illustration back in my home church. Are you born on a cruise ship or are you born on a battleship? Because so many Christians, and I was one of them, 
think they're born on a cruise ship. Now, if I'm born on a cruise ship and a bomb drops in the swimming pool and I spill my drink on my shirt, what do I do? I go straight to the captain's office and I hammer on his door. I say, what's going on here? Uh, yeah, I came on this. I paid for this cruise. The pool is now ruined. My shirt's ruined. I need a new drink. Why have you brought us here? So many Christians live like that when something goes wrong. But if you know you're born on a battleship, if a bomb drops in the pool, well, firstly, you're grateful you even had a pool. I mean, there's not many battleships that have swimming pools. So if you had one, well done. I mean, at least you had one for a while. But you know... What do you do when the bomb drops in the pool? You pick up your gun and you start shooting. Why? Because you know, I'm not going to go and hammer on the captain's door complaining. I know that he has called me into battle. His voice has spoken and he said, we are going into this war zone. And I signed up for that. Are you born on a cruise ship or are you born on a battleship? I wish someone would explain this to me because you guys, you will have difficulties. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so, and so when you get this, it changes everything. And, and we use this illustration loads now because we realize as people come to faith in Christ, it transforms them when they get this. In fact, there was one lady, and, and this is a, I love this story because she came to faith on Alpha. And then as soon as she came to faith, all hell broke loose in her life. I mean, just stuff started going wrong left, right, and center. And we'd seen people before that this had happened to, and sometimes it does happen. The enemy just launches an attack against someone who comes to faith. Sometimes it happens, not always, but sometimes. And, and we'd seen this happen before, and people tend to just kind of walk off, and they think, well, you know what? I thought that Christianity, following Jesus, was going to make my life easier, was going to make it better. They signed up for the cruise ship, and it didn't, so therefore I'm off. And Steve, my friend, went to chat to her because of all this had happened to her. And he said, how are you doing? And she said, you know what? It's tough, but I'm doing okay. And he said, well, how come? And she said, the first Sunday I came to church, Simon was speaking and he asked us, are you born on a cruise ship or are you born on a battleship? And I realized that day I was born on a battleship, so I wasn't expecting it to be easy. (laughs) I wish I'd heard about the authoritative voice of God. God has spoken. He has given this planet, this broken planet, as an inheritance to his son. And now his son has spoken with all authority and said, go. Go. Make disciples from every nation until the earth is filled with the glory of God. That's our mission. And where we see the kingdom of darkness, we sign up. And we say, I'm coming with a kingdom of light. And you know... I lived, I lived all of my school years, because I'd never heard these things. I was so often thinking, I lived all of my school years in fear. I lived this double life, as I told you. And I went through all of that. As you know, I became an atheist, so I came back to Christ. And then I got, went to university, found a job. And in my first job, uh, I was working in an engineering office and all the guys were about 15 years older than me and it was like 10 guys in this open plan office. So all the conversation was open. And at the end of the first week, one of the kind of guys who was a, just a bit of a laugh, he said, so Simon, you're going to go out this weekend and get hammered and pull some girls? And the whole office went quiet. And I knew this was a defining moment. And I said, no, I don't think I am. And he said, why not? We're all married. You know we, we, you know, we can't do that sort of thing anymore. You should. You should, and you should tell us all the, all the spoils of the weekend. You should do. Why are you not? And I knew whatever came out of my mouth next was going to define my period in that workplace. And I said, well, because I became a Christian at university, and I used to live that way like you described, but I don't do that sort of, sort of stuff anymore. And he said, oh, well, each to his own. It wasn't each to his own. It was not each to his own. And for the next 18 months, they hammered me. Every time there was something on the radio about Christianity, they oh, Simon. Anytime they could think of anything to have a go at me, oh, Simon, about this, new Christians, that. And you. They hammered me for 18 months. Open plan office, 10 of them. They just went at me. But do you know what happened? Something grew on the inside. And I learned to laugh at myself. And I learned to make jokes back at them. And I learned to stand up for what I believed. And I learned to speak to them. And that fear that came into my heart as a young boy when I peed my pants in history was driven out of my soul. 
And in that moment, in that period, I realized, I, I grew, I became a man in that space as I realized, no, 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 I'm secure. The Father is my Father. And I know that He has spoken, and I know that I have got to stand. And, and I love it as people get this revelation, as they realize that we are ambassadors for Christ. We now go under His authoritative command. We go. And that there was a, a, one of our young people in our church. She was uh, in class, and the teacher came in with a, a, a clearly a bad leg, and, and, and she plucked up the courage and said, Miss, could I, I pray for you? And she said, I don't believe in any of that kind of stuff. No. And so the, she went to the back of the class, and the lesson went on. At the end of the class, the teacher said, can you wait behind, please? And she thought, uh-oh. And she said, have you been praying for me during this lesson? And she said, yes. <laughs> and she said, you need to know, I've got no pain in my leg now. It works. Thank you. You can go. <laughs> There was a, a lady who, she loves movies and the theatre, and she became an extra on the Dumbo film. So she was on the Dumbo film as an extra, and as she was in the makeup chair, she was chatting to the makeup artist, and the Lord began to speak to her. And she said, does the number seven mean anything to you? And the, the lady who was doing her makeup said, no, no, not really. And she said, how many houses have you lived in? And the lady was like, Seven. And she said, how many relationships have you had? And she's like, seven. And she said, yes, and two of them were very special to you, weren't they? And she said, yes. And she began to prophesy into her life as she applied makeup to her face. The kingdom of God is breaking out. The many varied voice of God is calling us. What does it look like for you? And I've as I've taught and as we've taught people these things, it's been amazing to see the varied ways that God speaks and moves and acts, simple acts of kindness to breathtaking miracles. Jesus said, even a glass of water given in my name will receive a reward. God is on the move and his authoritative voice has spoken. I wish somebody had told me about the intimate voice of God. I wish... Somebody had told me about the variety of the voice of God. I wish somebody had told me about the authority of God's voice. God has spoken through many, many different prophets over many times, but now he has spoken through his son. He has called us out of being orphans to be his children. He has equipped us with his voice whispering, speaking, whispering. Go here. Speak to this one. Act now. He has given us his voice of authority to go on his behalf. So now you know three things I wish I'd known. Put them into practice. I really do believe it would change your life. And also... Never use a plastic pencil case. Always have a cloth one because you never know if you might need it in an emergency. <laughs> Why don't we... Let's just take a moment to respond to the Father. So should we stand to our feet? You've been sitting for a while. <laughs>